Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30, Monday, February 26th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Senate Republicans have filed a bill to establish 15 days of early voting in Mississippi. Then the federal government forgives student loans of nearly 2,000 Mississippians. Plus, a new book takes readers on a visual journey through the state's racist past. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is one of just three states without early in-person voting options. But a new bill filed by Senate Republican Jeremy England of Van Cleve would establish 15 days of early voting in the state. While Mississippians can go to their county circuit clerk's office to file an absentee ballot before an election, they must have an excuse and the reasons are very limited. Early voting would not have those additional restrictions and would allow people to cast their ballot on a day more convenient for them. Senator England tells our Will Stribling about the bill and what it could mean for voters. I have dropped a, a in-person early voting bill, which will open up 15 days prior to the election. Uh, so basically Monday through Saturday and then Monday through Saturday, where you can go to your circuit clerk's office in person, uh, present a valid uh, photo ID uh, and have your circuit clerk print you out an actual ballot and you cast your ballot in that office. It goes into the same scanner that, that we always vote. I think it, it allows um, a lot of our working Mississippians uh, a chance to um, to have the convenience to vote when it's, it's not always convenient, especially as quick as the world moves today. Uh, and look, we're one of only three states that don't have something like that. So it's, it's something we're looking at. But I think this way we, we are... Um, you know, the fidelity of our elections is secure with this because it's the exact same process you use on Election Day. Uh, it just opens up a little bit more. And I'll tell you, Will, I've, I've never, since I was young, and, I, you know, I've always been a political junkie and loved following things, it's never sat well with me that sometimes the weather may affect who we elect, you know, to lead our country or to lead our state. And so this would, would, give, uh, would, would kind of take that out of the equation. Folks would have the opportunity to go um, and cast their actual ballot and then have the confidence of knowing that you put this in the scanner if, if there was an issue with your ballot. You don't have to worry about somebody opening an absentee ballot and tossing it with the, if there's an issue. You, you see your, your vote go into the scanner. It'll kick it back out to you, give you an opportunity to correct any issues or, or clarify any uh, non-votes like it will do uh, and then put it right back in uh, to the scanner and you have your vote cast. And 
that wouldn't be tabulated to election day. And I just think it's something that um, that's going to help us maybe increase our voter turnout. Uh, that's my hope. And also get people that we want voting uh, to show up and vote because, we, you know, we, Mississippians are busy. We're a hardworking state. Uh, we're a family-oriented state. So, um, you know, just just as an example, my wife works at Ingalls Shipbuilding. Uh, she has to be at work at 630. Uh, she may not get home till 415. And then we've got two kids that have practice and gymnastics and all that stuff. So and, and then she'll put a meal on the stove after that. So this this would give her an opportunity. And, and so I think of her and I think of all of our teachers and our, our manufacturers, uh, people on the line, people that work shifts, um, our, our doctors that are on call and working seven to seven, nurses working seven to seven shifts. I think this would be something that would allow them to uh, to exercise their right to vote in a, in a more confident and secure way. Yeah, and that's well, what uh, brought this issue to the front of your mind and made you decide, all right, this year I'm going to try and tackle this. Yeah, so, look, when I first got, when I got here this term, I've always kind of been a traditionalist. I, I've, I've thought, you know, we have election day, you know, you show up and vote. Uh, but as I got to talking to uh, the administrators of our hospitals and to our manufacturers and to our business and industry leaders here, um, and I've also seen some polling that this is something that, that Mississippians would like to see happen. Um, and it, it's, it's a, a bipartisan, uh, strong bipartisan support for this issue, which is important for elections. Um, and, and what I wanted to make sure that, that if we move forward with this, again, we're only one of three states that don't do this, that we, uh, we do it in a secure way. We're not talking about ballot harvesting. We're not talking about drop boxes. We're not talking about mail-in uh, ballots. We're talking about in person, uh, a, a a circuit clerk or someone in his office that is that is well versed with how these things work um, to cast an actual ballot uh, in those 15 days. And when I got to looking at it all, it just makes sense, uh, I think, for Mississippi to take that step and to do this because we need to see, look. Our, our voter turnout is, is across the nation is is not where it needs to be. And and we were able to uh, another thing, being one of only three states not that don't have this, we're able to look to see where this is. Um, this has benefited populations. We were able to see what's working, what's not working. Uh, and ultimately, this is just a, a very small step. It's a small thing that I think is going to benefit people uh, tremendously that, that work and, and raise families in Mississippi when it comes to being able to cast a ballot. And so you believe that there is strong bipartisan support in your chamber for this bill? So, so I'm still gauging my, my support in my chamber um, on both ends of the hall. But I, I have talked with, uh, with leadership. Um, I've talked with uh, other individuals. And, and I really think that, um, look, when I talk with people and they hear that this is, look, this is in person, present a valid photo ID and, and cast a ballot, that seems to take away any questions that people have when you just hear the phrase early voting, you know, because we've, we've seen where other states have had issues with that. Um, but here in Mississippi, we can do that right, and, and we have confidence in our circuit clerk's offices across the state. We have confidence in the Secretary of State's office who will be allowed to write some administrative uh, rules to make sure that the not only once the ballot is cast that it's secured and kept uh, in a secured way, but also to uh, promulgate rules that will that will help this be a system uh, that is secure, uh, that is uh, free of fraud, and that will work. That's Republican Senator Jeremy England of Van Cleve. He filed the bill to reform the state's early voting and campaign finance law. A growing number of organizations have been supportive of early voting options since the 2020 election and before. Among them, One Voice, an election engagement group, 
in Jackson. Executive Director Nisambi Lambright Haynes says Mississippi voters need better access to the polls. She says not everyone can take time out on a Tuesday to make it to cast their ballots. Reasons range from needing child care to health issues and having to show up for work. We're excited you know, that, you know, going in that direction and, you know, appreciative of the effort. However, it is a little more restrictive than we would like in other states that have early voting options. They have a little more time for early voting. Um, they usually go a little longer than 15 days. They usually go about 30 days. And Uh, They have a few more options uh, available to voters uh, than the um, circuit clerk's office. So people are, you know, able, uh, you know, to have the option of the drop boxes, which, you know, they strictly, you know, identify in this bill, you know, as as prohibited in terms of uh, the drop boxes because they say that they're, you know, unsupervised. But, you know, we would appreciate those options you know, to be able to have drop boxes and even precincts um, open um, where people can come and vote early during certain times of the day. And even um, on Saturdays, uh, like they uh, have available to them in the state of Louisiana. The state of Louisiana has voting options available to them, you know, um, a month before the election on Saturdays leading up to election day, you know, that would make a a tremendous difference in Mississippi. What do you think about this step being taken, you know, by a Republican in the Mississippi legislature? Because early voting calls don't typically come from that side of the aisle. And we've especially seen since the 2020 election and the the false claims of voter fraud in that election that that Republicans in large um, across the country and state legislatures have have you know pushed to restrict voting voting access. What does it say to you that there's th- this move in, in in Mississippi finally to 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 open it up at least a, a little bit in this limited sense with the 15 days? I would just have to you know see that it doesn't impact what we currently have available in terms of um, the absentee ballot process, because sometimes uh, what we tend to do in Mississippi is move backward in uh, in order to move forward. And so, you know, right now with the absentee ballot process, that process is open to us 30 days before Election Day. And so if that process stays intact, And then the early voting process is added to our list of things that are available to voters. You know, that could be something that's accessible. Yeah. Well, then what would y'all like to see alternatively? You mentioned um, drop boxes and a 30-day period um, before. Is there there anything else? Yeah, uh, just more um, options in terms of um, places. Because I get into that registrar's office may be um, an extra burden for people so that if those precincts are able to be open, um, at least on Saturday, that would also be a helpful option for the um, early voting process.
Nasambi Lambright Haynes is executive director of One Voice. Coming up, the federal government is forgiving student loans of nearly 2,000 Mississippians. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The federal government has canceled the student debt of more than 153,000 Americans, and nearly 2,000 of them are in Mississippi. The program costs around $1.2 billion paid by the White House and the U.S. Department of Education. People who've repaid loans for at least 10 years and owe $12,000 or less enrolled in the SAVE program are eligible. And this is the latest wave of student loan forgiveness helping borrowers across the nation. Tanisha Thompson is a social worker who graduated from the University of Southern Mississippi. She had her loans forgiven in January, and she speaks with our Mike McEwen about having that loan canceled. I took out loans because I had to, because my family wasn't able to afford to pay for my college education outright. So we had to do um, student loans for me to be able to go to college. Um, When I graduated college, I started working for the state of Mississippi. Um, Working for the state of Mississippi um, afforded me to be able to be in a program called the Public Student Loan Forgiveness Program. Um, So every year I would certify my employment with with that program. And that would add up the years that I worked for the state of Mississippi went towards um, my forgiveness. My work started with Ellisville State School. I worked for Ellisville State School for nine and a half years. I then transitioned to um, the Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services. I worked there for eight years, and I'm currently working for law school district. School district, and I've been there for for two years. When all the um, when everything went on with um, President Biden launching the student forgiveness program for public servants, I jumped on that and kind of got the ball rolling with that. My my loans were with Fed Student Loan Servicing. Shortly after that, my loans were given over to Mohila. I had about 107 qualifying payments. When I checked around November or December, um, you have to have 120 qualifying payments to um, get your loans forgiven. I didn't really think that was right, so I called them, and they told me that they had made a mistake and not um, verify one of my employers when I sent it in the last time. And so once they did that, it shot my qualifying payments up to like 160. And so, of course, I was well over the 120 qualifying payments, and my loans were forgiven as of July, January 25th. And could you just speak about just having to make those payments as long as you did? What, what, what impact did that have just on on how you felt about your own finances and then and then having them forgiven, what does that mean for you? They really um they opened up some opened up money for me to be able to do other things. Um absolutely it did. Because you know those payments can get a little pricey and you may not have that. And like and they will work with you on what you pay and and what 
what you pay and how much you pay. And so, um, so when I was when I was trying to actively pay, there was a hardship for me. Having gone through this experience, do you see, you know, the skyrocketing cost of attending a university and obtaining, you know, not just a bachelor's but a master's degree in your case? Do you see that almost as a as a barrier for kids who do want to go to school, whose families might not have the finances to put them through themselves? Um, I do. I think it absolutely is a barrier for kids who have the desire to go to college um, and have to have to get loans to be able to pay for their education. Um, because in the end, you have the barrier of having to to pay those loans back. I work with college students sometimes, and I accept interns as well with my job. And so they always talk about like how afraid they are of, you know, graduating and then those student loan payments starting up like soon after they graduate. And they are always trying to think about like how they're going to manage it. So I think it is very much so a barrier for those students who come who who are in college matriculating through college and have to think about that afterwards and kids who want to go to college in the future. And do you think now having your loans forgiven and there are more programs that the president has been announcing, do you think that this might mark maybe a new era just the just the conversation around student loans and student loan forgiveness in the US? Yeah, I honestly think that um we should try to look into more ways for for free education, I know that there may be a long shot, but looking at ways that we can get more more kids out of high school to college for free education other than, you know, football scholarships or, you know, our sports scholarships, all that's awesome. Um, even academic scholarships are awesome, but there are students who really, people who really desire to go to college and may not, you know, have either of those. If there's a conversation or if there's something that happens in the future, I think it'll be great. Tanisha Thompson is a social worker who graduated from the University of Southern Mississippi and had her loans forgiven in January, her student loans. Coming up, a new book takes readers on a visual journey through Mississippi's racist past. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What can you do with the MPB Radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. Get the app for your smartphone now. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A new book takes readers through a visual journey of the nation's racist history with photos that include Mississippi. Photographer Richard Frischman and civil rights historian Brian Foster work together on the book Ghosts of Segregation, American Racism Hidden in Plain Sight. Frischman traveled across the nation beginning in 2016 to photograph sites linked to slavery, segregation, and institutional racism. That series took him through areas like Washington, New York, and as I mentioned, Mississippi, as well as Los Angeles. Here's Frischman talking about why he wanted to capture these locations. I've been photographing people most of my life. And at this at the point that I began this, this project, I was trying to do something more meaningful than what I was doing. And the, the civil rights struggle had always been an important element in my life. And my parents were very vocal uh, 
when I was growing up that we had uh, a responsibility to look out for other people, especially those who were being oppressed. And I had just sort of seized on that. I felt that I needed to do something. I didn't really know what, but in a previous project, I stumbled upon a segregation wall in Gonzales, Texas. I had never seen a segregation wall. It just stunned me, and I started looking for other aspects of segregation and racial oppression that was visible in the built environment. Okay. Um, and that that's what started this. How did you guys decide what you were going to photograph? Richard, you went out, so you probably already had photos a lot of photos by the time you met up with Brian. Brian, did yes, you I, tell him what else to go out and, and photograph? How did that come together? Yeah, there were there were all, already a good number of photos in the collection. The first task for me when I came on board was, was just to figure out where my voice could fit in. Like, what, what did I want the writing to feel like and to accomplish? Um, and, and kind of what would the writing need to be in order to make the project uh, to give the project a sort of three-dimensional feel, a synergistic feel, not just here's a writer who did some things and a photographer who did some things, but here is a coherent project. And uh, and so, yeah, in, in many of the conversations we had, I relayed um, just kind of insights and histories from my own work. You know, you'll see some photos that, you know, taken in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Uh, but then, you know, I teach I teach classes on Black history and culture. And so I'm always thinking about, you know, for example, the importance of migration. There are a bunch of photos that feature sites that evoke this history of migration to the West. Because these are um, histories that touch on and teach about in the classroom. The, these same histories inform some of the conversations I had with Rich. And so Rich had a bunch of photos already. I had kind of the, the insights and info uh, from field work and then also from, you know, just kind of reading broadly about about Black American history and culture and teaching about it at the University of Mississippi and now uh, the University of Virginia. And so it was it was offering up that those insights and histories to Rich and, and then him doing his own background research. Okay. Let's talk a little I bit about the lot. photos that were taken in Mississippi. And I do see one here of a segregated uh, theater. Yeah, that was pictures of segregated entrances were really among the earliest things that I shot because it was so in your face. What you know, Brian brought in a lot more depth, like the exodusters and the migration to build uh, a life out in the West, not just in uh, Chicago and Detroit. But the, one of the first places that I photographed was in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and it was um, the segregated entrance at the Sanger Theater, which is a, a beautiful movie palace. And off to the side, up an alley, was this palimpsest of bricks that denoted entrance that people of color had to go through. And as I started looking down different alleyways in the South, I'd find similar mm -hmm. bits of evidence. I, I've, um, 
I was down in Mississippi last week talking about the project, both at the University of Mississippi and then at Millsaps. And um, one photo I highlighted was of Ed driving in Pascagoula. Uh, the photo that you see in the collection, it'll show um, it'll show a couple of kids standing at the front. It looks like they've just placed their orders. You see a few workers inside. And then kind of to the right of the photo, you see like a little window. Um, you know, it could almost be like you could kind of walk up and it seems like there was a time where you could maybe walk up and be served from that window. And in fact, that was the case. The window was for, you know, quote unquote, colored patrons to the restaurant. Again, this is in Pascagoula. I visited a couple of years later and, and they had actually covered that window during some renovations. Um, another picture that I talk about is of, what is it, um, First Presbyterian, College Hill First Presbyterian in Oxford, Mississippi. It's a church. Mm-hmm. Um, and the photo was included for these two. They look like windows on the front. They are above and just off to the side of the doors, the main entrance. And um, you would think they're windows, but they are actually what uh, was once the, again, quote, colored entrance, right? So for for, for black parishioners, they would climb a little ladder, ladder and they would watch the services from the balcony. In a similar way that that window had been covered at Ed's Drive-In in Pascagoula, the, the church burned in 2021. And so these two sites, like other sites in the collection, you know, they, they are not as they were when they were photographed which, again, was kind of the point that, that, that kind of motivated Rich to, to start out the collection. You know, he sees these as evidence. That's civil rights historian Brian Foster and photographer Richard Frischman talking about their new book, Ghosts of Segregation, American Racism, Hidden in Plain Sight. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.